Um, my name is Peter Rowan. I'm the campus pastor at VCU with John There. I don't know who's new or who's been here for 20 years. Um, so I'll just welcome you if you're new. Uh, I'm not the normal preacher here. Uh, I'm not one of the pastors. But I have uh, been with you quite a few times, and I know that this community is, uh, will welcome you in Christ. So if you're new, I want to welcome you, and I want to say, um, stick around for a little while. Taste and see the Lord is good through this community. Uh, we are in the book of 2 John, and 2 John is one of those tiny, tiny postcard epistles near the end of your Bible. If you go all the way to the end, it's Revelation. I said last week it was three pages to the left. I recounted it's four in my Bible. Um, but it's all the, way out, all the way to the end of your Bibles. And uh, we're, we took last week there. We're going to take this week there. And here's what I would like to do. I'd like to give a little bit of a recount, and then I'll tell you a story. Then we'll read the passages and then talk about it. Okay? Here's a little recount. In the New Testament, what you find in these letters is uh, the different authors are talking to these new communities, these churches that are coming up, these new communities who are centering their lives around Christ about uh, what it means to be followers of Jesus, what it means to be followers of Jesus. And it's very interesting, as you read through all these different letters, what you find is that they're made up of all different types of people, um, not just men and women, but Jews and Gentiles. That was a great shock to the early church, Jews and Gentiles, uh, slaves and free, right? Um, masters, barbarians, Scythians, there's all these different people who are mentioned that are part of this new community. And um, they, don't, they don't gather together like we tend to gather, gather together. You know, if you're in a sportsman's club, you're in, a, you're in the sportsman's club because you like hunting and fishing, right? You're, if you're in a mothers of preschoolers club, you're there because you are a mother of a preschooler. I can't, I can't be in that club. Right? We, got, we gather together in our, uh, more naturally around affinity groups, and yet the church gathers together around its common confession of Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. That's why we're here this morning, is because we have a common confession. And central to that confession we looked at last week is the coming of Jesus in the flesh. That in fact, that, uh, the coming of Jesus is the answer to all the brokenness in the world. It's the answer to your anxiety. It's the deep uh, longing that you have for the world to be right, for beauty to push out all the ugliness. The Christian community comes together around that confession. That's what we talked about last week. Let me tell you a story. So uh, three years ago, I bought my car, and I got it for a third of the price of the Kelly Blue Book price. Okay, That, that was a good deal. The catch is, it was in Connecticut. And I lived in St. Louis. I was finishing up my studies at Covenant Seminary at the time. And so I thought, well, it's such a good deal. I'm going to fly there and get it. Okay, so I flew there. And the man who was selling it picked me up. And we were driving. I, he actually let me drive from where he picked me up to drop him off at his office. Where then, of course, I assumed I would easily drive away in this new car that I got a great deal on. Well, I started driving, and the gas is not getting to the engine. It's just puttering along. And I, my, I thought, I was duped. What happened? Why did I buy a car on the internet? Right? 
What a, what a bad idea. Well, uh, I convinced the guy, we need to bring this to the dealership. We did, and actually there was an extended warranty on it. Volvo would cover it. Great deal for me. But I was stuck in Stamford, Connecticut for the night, because it wouldn't be fixed till the next day. I, have, I don't know anyone in Connecticut. No one. Uh, not knowing what to do, I called up a friend who got on my Facebook account. This is not a plug for Facebook. This is just how the story went, as it goes. And I said, hey, can you look up a friend who's a pastor in Brooklyn, because Stanford is just north of New York, and uh, get me his number. And he did that. And then while he was on Facebook, he said, Peter is stuck in Stanford on my status. <laughs> and so I, I got in touch with my friend in, in Brooklyn and uh, asked, hey, can I come stay with you? He said, uh, sure, you're more than welcome to come stay with me. And within an hour, I actually got three calls from other people I, I uh, know in the greater New York area. I'd actually never been to New York saying, Peter, come stay with us. Peter, come stay with us. And uh, what, what happened is that I went and stayed with this friend and his children and his wife in their tiny apartment. He's planting a church in Clinton Hill. And um, they fed me. They gave me their couch to sleep on. And they welcomed me in, in Jesus. And, um, you, you know, that, by that point I sort of knew them because I had gone to seminary with this guy. But actually four years earlier, when I first moved to St. Louis, the very first Sunday I was there, they, uh, I met them at a church and they said, why don't you come over to our house tonight for dinner? Didn't know who I was and they welcomed me in. And, uh, you know, those, those stories, in some ways there's, no, there's nothing really extraordinary about them. And then... In other ways, everything about it is extraordinary. They were welcoming, welcoming me in, in the love of Christ. They were giving me a picture of grace. They, they were welcoming when, me when I felt lost. What am I doing? Why am I in Stanford, Connecticut? Is this car going to work? Am I going to be able to get away? I have class next week. Why did I think this was a good idea? They were welcoming me in. And um, I think that's part of what we're going to see um, that sort of uh, walking in love, abiding in truth in this uh, passage before us. Let me read Second John. I'm going to read all of it again. Then we'll pray and then we'll talk about it together. This is Second John. It says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. 
Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's pray together. Our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we thank you that though you are the God who made all things, that you dwell perfectly in your unity, that you are over all things, that in you all things hold together, yet you have revealed yourself to us, your children. You have spoken in truth. You have acted in love. And you are at work in the world for our good. Lord, we pray that you would use uh, this time together, this hour of worship, this text in front of us for our good, that through it we would have a greater faith, greater love, that we would know you more. Uh, Lord, would you use me, a sinner though I am, for your purpose in the world, that we would know Jesus and love him more. Now, Lord, with the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleased in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You notice this is a short book. It's actually uh, the second shortest book in the Bible, and the the first is 3 John, the one right next to it that you can probably see. That's the shortest book in your Bibles. And um, there, it's sort of a strange book. It seems like there's a lot going on, but we don't really get, uh, get to grasp all of what's being said. One commentator said it like this. He said, reading 2 John is not something like, simply like hearing one side of a phone conversation. Have you had that happen? <laughs> I really want to know what's happening on the other side. I'm not going to ask until you hang up. Um, but it's actually worse. It says, he says, it's kind of like hearing one side of a phone conversation that is bleeding in and out of your phone while the cellular transmission, uh, uh, from the cellular, cellular transmission of someone else. We are often not quite sure of the one side we can hear, let alone the other side, which we can barely detect. Uh, but here's the thing. There, there are a couple things in this book that I think we can say uh, with absolute certainty. There's some things that he really wants you to abide in. That word abide is used quite a few times in this book. He really wants you to get a few things. And one of the things we, we talked about last week, and that is the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Okay, that's central to the Christian claim, the coming of Jesus in the flesh. But the other thing is these uh, central ideas to the Christian faith of truth and love. So what we're going to do, we're going to consider abiding in truth and walking in love. All right, abiding in truth and walking in love. Because though this is like a strange conversation that you feel like you're only getting parts of, we know that he wants us to abide in truth and to walk in love. Okay, so abiding in truth. It's very interesting. The the word truth actually appears, um, well, both actually love and truth appear six times just in the first six verses alone. And you probably caught that. The truth just seems to be so central to this uh, little tiny postcard epistle. And truth is actually, it's a very weighty word, isn't it? It's a word um, that is oftentimes challenged. I I lead a a small group every Thursday night that is mostly non-Christians. We have about four Christians and eight non-Christians there. It's mostly dealing with common objections to the Christian faith, the existence of evil, things like that. But what we keep coming back to is can you know what Schaefer would say, he would call it capital T, truth. 
Is truth even possible to know, right? It's a charged word. And within the Christian community, we want to say absolutely. So we talk about truth regularly, and rightly so, because it's in the Bible. It reminds me, there, uh, I grew up on an island right off of Seattle, Washington, called Vashon Island. But there's an island north, a little ways, in the San Juan Islands called Whidbey Island. Maybe some of you know that. But Whidbey Island is very long, long from north to south island. And on one side, there's a, uh, there's a military base. And on, on that side, you can, what I've heard is that everyone who lives on that side is very pro-military, sort of very pro-war. But on the other side, it's the exact opposite. And so you can almost draw a line right halfway through the, the island. And on one side, if you say war, you generally have support. On the other side, if you, if you, uh, other side of that line, if you say war, absolute negativity, okay? Maybe, maybe you know sort of how charged that word is. That's sort of how truth is, right? It's, it's a charged word. Um, it, it sort of evokes a lot of different feelings that we have. Well, John says that, that it's also a charged word. And that in abiding in truth, there are certain consequences, actually, to it. There, there are cer- certain effects. There are certain e- emotive consequences, now let me read verses 3 and 4. He says, grace, mercy, and peace will be, will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. He says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. You know, in these verses... You just have these words that sort of sum up the gospel, mentioned again and again. Grace, mercy, peace. And he says, joy, I rejoiced greatly to find you walking in the truth. And here's the thing. If, how often do we experience these sorts of things? Grace and mercy, peace? Say, so if, if you were like me, sometimes you get, you get uh, glimpses of them. You get glimpses of peace in your life. But, uh, but you're probably also like me where it seems as though a lot of life feels, I have that same feeling I had when I first learned that the car was just puttering along. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, so some of you uh, don't have peace because you really don't know if you'll have your job in a few months. Some of us have peace because... Uh, you, like one of my dear friends recently, um, lost a child before giving birth. Uh, you, ha- you don't have peace in the world because you don't, your, your grown-up children have wandered from the faith. There are all kinds of reasons why these things um, like grace and mercy, peace, joy, seem... Uh, you know, we, we get tastes of them occasionally, but they seem distant from us. They seem far off. And yet, uh, John has the audacity to say, the ama- he, he amazes us with saying, they will be yours. That, that's actually our great hope, is that they will be ours. Um, but... but you know, they're not ours because we did something for them, right? They will be with us because of who gives them to us. 
And this is actually the promise for you, dear friends. This is the promise of Christianity, that those things are, for, those things are yours. They are guaranteed. They are a promise. That God has promised you them in that you are with God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is an invitation for you if you're not a Christian. God, who we confess made all things, tells you he will give you peace in this uh, world that seems like it's uh, very uh, peaceless. He says he will, give, he will grant you peace. He will give you joy. His grace will be yours. Uh, he will extend mercy towards you. That is part of abiding in the truth of God the Father and of his Son, Jesus Christ. I also wanted to say that, that there's actually a sociological uh, reality an effect to abiding in the truth. And uh, let me read verses 1 and 2. It says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. See, uh, those who abide in truth actually make up this new community that I was talking about, right, at the beginning. Those who abide in truth make up a new community. And, uh, you know, okay, that's part, it says the elders, the elect lady. I mentioned this last week in passing, but there's very good reason to believe that that's actually referring to a church. Part of it is that all of the yous is in the plural. Um, the, 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 this, is, this was a common way of speaking about the church. She's the bride of Christ, right? Here's the, here's the elect lady, this church. Um, but this, this this uh, dynamic of the, the church being the people of the truth is very offensive. Uh, this, is, this is actually probably the number one thing as I go around at VCU and I talk to people about Jesus. Uh, I love to just go up to people and ask them, what do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Christians? Actually, most people are very uh, willing to have those conversations. But the most offensive thing probably is that uh, we actually claim to be a people that have the truth. Uh, the capital T truth. That God has actually spoken. And, you know, some of the, some of, the uh, some of that dynamic, that tension that happens when we claim that we have the truth is warranted because what happens is that sometimes Christians take that and they beat people over the head with it. I have it. <laughs> But what this passage is telling us is that it's true, you do. If you are in Jesus, you do have the truth. But it should make us actually the most humble people. It should make us the most humble people because it is the people uh, that, get, that receive the truth from God the Father, from Jesus Christ, right? We didn't... If you have the truth, here's the thing. You didn't think it up. You're not that smart. Neither am I. You know, it's not from us, right? It's not ours. It's from God. The only reason why, actually, I'm up here speaking with a level of confidence is because I believe that God has revealed himself in the scriptures. Okay? The only reason you have to speak confidently about having the truth is not anything that you've done. Nothing that you've done is simply the grace of God speaking to you through this revealing Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
Um, so one of the things we can say with confidence through this sort of odd conversation that's happening in 2 John is that we are to abide in truth. And in abiding in the truth, God tells you, you will have peace. You will have grace. You will have mercy. You will have joy. And that you are part of a community that holds to the truth. But I want, you, I want to encourage you that in holding to the truth, do it humbly. Do it with grace. Show mercy. Okay, another thing that this is telling us is that he uh, longs for us to um, walk in love. To walk in love. And it's interesting, love is another one of these words that's so powerful, right? It's so elastic. My wife loves me. She also loves sweet frog. And, you know, I love bacon. And I also love my wife. And, you know, praise the Lord that those are different sorts of love. You know, that she doesn't love me like she loves sweet frog. She does not want to eat me. Um, and I don't love her like I love bacon. They're, they're completely different. Love is sort of an elastic word. And actually, um, the book of 2 John is written by the same uh, man who wrote 1 and 3 John, but also the, the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. And in all of those, he uses this word love over 100 times. He used the word love more than any other author in the Bible. And in some ways, he uses it with a, with a level of sort of elasticity. It stretches a little bit. Um, but what, what it is, love, uh, you probably noticed this actually when I said my wife loves sweet frog and loves me, is it changes depending upon uh, who is loved or where the love come, comes from, right? The referent has everything to do with the meaning or the substance of it. Um, so, we can read verses 1 through 4. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have had from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Uh, four through six. And so what, what we see is that there's this, uh, there's this interaction actually, not just right here, but also in the rest of jo uh, John's writings with love actually and action. With love and action. And uh, some of you may think, what? what love and action? Here's the thing. This is, this is very, very important to get. Um, like I, as I said, love's meaning changes uh, depending upon its reference. But lo love, is also, love is always demonstrated in the Bible. It's always active in the Bible. Okay? Um, and so what it said here is that you, we're, we're called to walk in love. And, and we're actually called to uh, obey the commandments out of love. But it's very important that you always get uh, the, uh, the order right. This is, the great, this is the thing that marks Christianity uh, different from any other religion. You have to get the order right. Any uh, other religion says, uh, do certain things and you will be justified, right? 
Christianity says you are justified, uh, and therefore you do live in a certain way. There are always sort of actions that correspond with your standing in the gospel. To use the language here of 2 John, every other religion, actually every other so, sort of social organization too, um, demands that you uh, walk a certain way and then you will receive love. Uh, at VCU this week, some of my students got their uh, graduation gowns. That wasn't sheer grace, right? They weren't just given those. Uh, they had to earn them. And that's, that's how most of our, our, our world works. You have to do something in order, to, in order to gain this status. Well, God says, I love you. Not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done for you. But out of that love, there's always, an, uh, there's always a walking that takes place. Okay? So, wa- so loving is always sort of action-oriented. This is, this is the rhythm of... of of Christianity. Uh, love, actually, love is at the heart of all Christian action. Uh, love, is, love is the center, you could say, of all Christian being. That's why he, he tells you, walk in love. And we, we can find this elsewhere. First uh, John 3, 23 says, and this is the commandment. Maybe some of you know, First John is one of these books that mentions love a lot. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Did you see the, the uh, order? Believe in, in Jesus' love for you, and out of that, love one another. Matthew 22, 37 to 40, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the, this is the great and first commandment. Okay, Love God first. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so when we read in verses 5 and 6 that we're called to walk in his commandments, that there's actually this, that love is action-oriented, uh, what it's saying is that it, it, it's out of God's love for you. It's out of God's love for you. Okay, so, so John is not bringing this new commandment, walk in love. What he's doing is he's reinforcing again something that has been actually said over and over and over again in the Bible. And I'm just telling you this. Most of you have probably heard this. Walk in love. Walk in love towards one another. And uh, do that because God has first loved you. And here's where the whole book comes, is tied together. Walk in love towards one another because God has first loved you. This is all over in the scripture but it's absolutely central to this book. How does God most love you? We could read that while you were uh, dead in your sins, God showed his love for you by giving his son, right? The, old, the absolute ultimate expression of God's love for you is the incarnation of Jesus. The coming of Jesus in the flesh. This is the, this is the, the absolute demonstration of God's love is that he would take on flesh he would uh, walk. He, we, we talked about last week. He would uh, move into the neighborhood. That God himself would actually become a neighbor and demonstrate love to you. This is, this is, the, uh, this is why this, this, book, this is how this book ties together. Walk in love because of the coming of Jesus in the flesh. And how did Jesus come in the flesh? But he, 
he didn't stand far off, right? His incarnation, he really got dirty. He showed his love by eating with sinners, by befriending prostitutes, uh, by hanging out with tax collectors, by spending time with dirty, smelly people. Uh, He demonstrated his love by absolutely giving himself. By by saying, I'm not going to stand far off, I'm going to draw close. And he he demonstrated his love for us that we might then go and love one another. Uh, Central to the Christian faith is this idea of loving God first, and out of that, loving your neighbor. And here's the thing, loving your neighbor absolutely costs you something. People smell. We do. Um, It actually costs you something monetarily just to have your neighbor over for dinner. It does. It costs you more money. You know, my my friend, it was a very simple act, sort of, uh, but I disrupted their family life. They have three, uh, well, at the time, my friends had two three-year-olds. It was harder to put them to bed that night when I was staying with them in, in Brooklyn. It, it, co- it cost them something. It disrupted their family life. Loving one another, loving your neighbor, will disrupt you. Friends, again, <laughs> that's exactly what God did. He, he said, yes, I, I'm dwelling perfectly in the unity of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfectly dwelling together in heaven. Their relationship was disrupted. Jesus said, I'm going to go down and I'm, I'm going to get dirty. I'm, I want to demonstrate my love for them, by getting so dirty, by loving them so much, that I'm going to humble myself on a cross for them. That's Jesus' love for you. I, uh, I read, somewhat recently, a story of a little town in France called Le Chambon sur Lignon. And um, I studied French, I got a degree in French in college, so I, I, it's hard for me to say that just with an English accent. It sounds funny too, le chambon sur lignon. That would sound weird. Okay, le chambon sur lignon. Um, and this little town is not like uh, Paris, where it has great museums, you know, the Orsay and the Louvre. It's not um, a town that boasts of uh, being the gastronomic capital like Lyon. And it doesn't have uh, pre-Roman uh, ruins like Marseille. It's, it's a very small, sort of out-of-the-way town. And yet, one of the great stories of World War II uh, happened right there. The, uh, this town only had 2,600 people, and yet all, every single person in that town uh, would house those who were being stalked by the Germans. And it wasn't just actually the Jews that, that these people would, would house they would take in, they would, they would create a refuge for. They, they would take in the Poles, they would take in homosexuals, they would take in anyone that the Nazis were after. Anyone. And what would happen um, is that when, uh, when the Nazis would come to the town searching for people, they would, uh, they would send these people out to the countryside, miles away from the town, out into the countryside, to hide for a few days. And this group, uh, this town was led by these two pastors, Andre Trochme and Edouard Tace, and then the, the cousin of Andre, uh, Danielle. 
And uh, these pastors led it. And the, and the town, after the Nazis would leave, would go out into the, the, the surrounding countryside, and they would sing psalms. They would sing psalms particularly of the love of God and of his mercy. And uh, what's a, what, it, one of the most amazing stories of this town is when uh, the Gestapo came, and they actually took away on, uh, Andre. And his wife... Uh, was making dinner, and she actually invited the, the people that were taking her husband away to come and eat, to come and eat with her. And, of, you know, of course, she was asked, why would you do such a thing? Why would you do such a thing? And she would, she would talk about the love of God and the demand to love your neighbor. Because the only way that enemies are made friends is through love. Uh, that little town actually won this award. Uh, they, it's estimated that they saved about 5,000 people from death. And that, ta- that little town won an award after, um, after the war. And it's, it's now called, this town is called Righteous Among the Nations. That was the award that this town uh, won. Righteous Among the Nations. And the call, and th- th- these people very... Uh, Unashamedly, we're doing this because they were Christians. Here is the call of 2 John. Walk in love. Because it's the calling of the Christian church to show the world that you have been made righteous in Jesus. That you have been loved, despite the fact that you're undeserving, despite the fact that you're dirty and smelly. That the church is made up of a bunch of people that you would least expect, tax collectors and prostitutes but that you have been shown the love of God. That while you were enemies, he showed his love for you and made you his friends. He healed you. He saved you from certain death. Let's pray together.